Welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What episode we have for you guys here today, we bring on from the St. Louis area, Phil McRae. And Phil is someone that works out with Jeff and has for a while, but he's had an amazing hockey journey. Uh, he actually was born in Minnesota, but grew up in St. Louis as his dad, Basil McRae, uh, finished his NHL career down there, uh, went on to play at the U.S. National Team Development Program to London Knights in the OHL, was drafted in the second round to his hometown St. Louis Blues uh, before embarking on a 10-year uh, professional hockey career. Uh, and now he is back in St. Louis as the director for TPH total package hockey center of excellence in St. Louis, given back to the game. This was an awesome, awesome conversation, but before we get over to Phil, let's head on over to an awesome, awesome guy with his give more, be more hat on GMBM baby, Jeffrey Lavecchio Vex, what's going on today. Well, I started off in a great mood because when I got on this call, you were wearing a GMBM hoodie, which I loved in Cornell red. I gave it to you on that for purpose on purpose, but, um, you know, I'm just having a good day. It's sunny here. I actually got to see Phil this morning. Uh, he was a little nervous about coming on the podcast as a Philly calm down, man, just be yourself. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was really cool having on one of my, one of my good buddies and a client and somebody, uh, you know, who, even though he's much younger than me, he's always been disgusting at hockey and I always loved watching him play and being on the ice with him and seeing the things that he could do so this was a really fun one for me yeah absolutely and this was like a really truthful episode too I feel like all three of us talked about some of the highs some of the lows that we had you know in our hockey careers and stuff and I think it's just a lot of stuff that a lot of kids that'll be listening to this will it'll give them some perspective just on some guys that have been through it uh the good and the bad and uh I think we'll I think we helped a lot of people in this one yeah I think it was a really good one and you know, Phil, like, like you brought up on the podcast, like you knew who Phil was when you probably shouldn't have heard of his name yet. You know, he like, was unreal when he was young. You knew who he was. Yeah. He was disgusting. And, and, you know, like the things that he struggled with kind of the mental side of the game and, um, you know, looking back, like he's told me, I wish I would have hung out with better mentors and like been, been looked up to different guys in the NHL and the AHL. And, and that probably would have helped my career is following around the guys who were like all in invested in themselves and looking to find any way to get better versus some of the other guys. And, uh, I think that's probably one of the reasons why he's doing what he's doing now. And, and he's going to help kids to learn those things sooner than he did when maybe it was too late. So very unselfish for him to come on and, uh, yeah, just love the guy. You can tell, <laughs> you know what though, when you, when you go through kind of like blood, sweat and tears with somebody and you're with them as they're at their highs and when they're at their lows, uh, especially you're a trainer. So you see a lot of highs and a lot of lows based upon the fact of the things that you put those guys through on a consistent basis. I mean, you, you develop a, a almost like a kinship and a brotherhood with those kinds of people. And, and, you know, you can tell you two guys care about each other and, and want what's best for each other. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, man. You know, ELE, I got a ring says love everybody love everybody <laughs> <laughs> where'd you get that from that sounds Somebody like you got from. it from the, 
Oh, is it? I was going to yeah, say, it sounds like the ladies, food. man. Yeah, <laughs> dude, it's the same actor. It's Will Ferrell, uh, ELE, man. Everybody love everybody. <laughs> oh, that's unreal. And uh, it sounds pretty cool so what he's got going down there in St. Louis. And I just, it's good. We talk about it. I mean, it's great for, and we have some women's stuff coming on here in a little bit. We're really, really excited about it. Don't want to give too much away. Little teaser. Um, but something that is really, really important is having the opportunity to see somebody that's been in your shoes and be mentored by them who've gone on to do the things that you want to do. And so uh, the kids that he'll be mentoring within his program, those are kids that want to get to where he got to. And same in women's hockey. There needs to be more women, uh, you know, in, in leadership positions and coaching and all that kind of stuff. So so younger girls can see them and, and, and aspire to get to where they and they can actually see it. Um, so it's just, a, just a really, really cool thing, him giving back to the game now. And uh, um, sounds like he's going to do a fantastic job. Yeah. You know, it's so cool. Like he, he started his hockey camps. Um, he was running in the summer, maybe two summers ago. And last year was the second or last year was the first. And this was going to be the second. And then he got hired by TPH. Um, and he's, he's, he's got a passion for like helping teach kids, you know, new things. It's actually really cool. Like Phil, Phil is such a good dude. I don't know anyone that doesn't like Phil. He's always having fun. He's always got a smile on his face. Uh, he's too self-deprecating. I don't believe in negative self-talk, but he's, he, you know, he's always in the gym. He'd always be pulling up his shirt every day to the boys. What's my body fat at? What do I look like? And then, hey, pinch this, pinch me right now. Am I below 10? Am I below 10? You know, just freak <laughs> out like Phil, like calm down, you know, like just, just get in here and do your work. He's just, he's such a good dude. And, and like I said, the kids in St. Louis are going to be very lucky that we get to work with him. Yeah, for sure. Well, you guys have paved the way, man. And, uh, it's pretty cool. All the stuff that you guys have been able to do and, and the kids in St. Louis can really look up to that and feel like they can attain the things that you guys were able to attain. And, and it just continues to go from you guys down to Phil, down to the Kachuk brothers and, uh, and Clayton Keller and Cunning and all those kids. And, and, uh, hopefully that, uh, that train just keeps it rolling and they will with you guys there leading the way. So pretty cool stuff. That's a goal, baby. That's the goal. STL, <laughs> take it over. Uh, all right, I like it. Well, I think we should just get right over to him. Hey, like this was a this was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, before we do get over, obviously, we want to thank our title sponsor and Gel Sticks. Those guys are awesome. If you haven't seen John Lounsbury's initiative, uh, we had him on the podcast, but he's one of the owners in Gel Sticks. Uh, he's doing a thirty for thirty challenge where he's got uh, thirty of some of the the biggest names in hockey um, from all the way from guys like Jeff and I all the way up to NHL players. Uh, I saw when Brady Kachuk had one just the other day uh, where they're doing some sort of drill uh, away from the rink during this COVID time and uh, all the proceeds for everything that he gets goes to uh, the penalty box foundation, which is going to help people uh, who are, on hard times financially and, and need some help to pay for their kids hockey for next year. So, um, just the kind of guys that, at gel sticks, uh, that's, that's why we wanted to partner with them. And, and we really appreciate that. Uh, want to thank train heroic Jeff's app. How many do you have now? Do you have three phases out right now? I have three phases. And then I have a hot mom's workout, three phases and a hot mom's workout. <laughs> I one, love of my, it. one of my NHL clients, two time NHL all-star, not a big deal. Uh, his wife asked me to send her some programs uh, via Train Heroic, so I made one up for her, and I was like, might as well put it online for any any hot mamas out there who'd like to uh, get three days a week of just some some workouts that'll tighten it up. So I got three phases for hockey players. Phase four will be coming out in two weeks, 
And, uh, you know, this is the hardest time ever to write, to be, to be a strength coach, because usually you look at your peak date at the end of the season or end of the off season and say, Hey, like for my NHL guys, all right. Day one of NHL camp. Yeah. It's, it's September 15th. So we want to run up the side of that pyramid and be at the top at our peak, the best we can be in hockey shape on September 15th. Uh, right now, no one in any level of hockey knows when anything is going to be. So that's definitely been a challenge. So I'm just trying to write these workouts to both keep guys athletic and get them stronger, whether they're doing it from home or at a gym and they can do it both or all at a gym or all from home. So been very cool. And, uh, yeah, well, it's pushing you outside here. It's making you better too, right? Cause now you got to think a little bit outside your box and, and you got to do things a little bit differently. So, For sure. uh, I uh, always take a positive out of everything, right? <laughs> You're a good man. To hope. That's why I look up. <laughs> Well, the other thing too, we obviously want to thank you guys, everybody that listens to this and, uh, our podcast continues to climb and climb and climb in the charts and in sports and hockey podcasts out there. And, and we certainly have you guys to thank. And, uh, if you guys can continue to help us to get to the, get the word out to your networks, whether it's through social media, your Facebook groups or your teams, you know, through email lists and email chains and stuff like that. We really appreciate that. Uh, if you can help us by shooting us a rating or review on, on iTunes or Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, um, the more that you're able to do that, the more credibility it gives our podcast for people coming in and, and looking for a hockey podcast to, to get involved with. So, uh, thank you so much for helping us to spread the good word, add a little positivity to this hockey world. And, uh, we really, really appreciate it. So now, without further ado, let's head it on over to Phil McRae. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast from the unfortunate city of Silas, Missouri. <laughs> we have Phil McRae. Philly, how are you doing today, man? Good. Thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, for, first podcast I've ever been on. So, uh, pr- appreciate you guys having me on here. All right. All right. Well, we're, we'll be nice and easy on you. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll toss some softballs up there. Vex, Vex, <laughs> I don't know. Vex is like a hard hitting journalist. So he, he might be a little bit tougher on you than me. Right. And right. I know all the, I know I, all the dirt on him. <laughs> I've known Vex my whole life. So he's, he's probably got some dirt on me. <laughs> Well, perfect. Well, that means you got some dirt on him too. So we can get real nice and nice and crazy. (laughs) Um, yeah, but, uh, Hey Phil, so typically what we do on the podcast, we'd like to, uh, to bring it back and introduce you to our listeners and uh, get a little bit of a sense of, of how you fell in love with this great game of hockey. And I know it runs in your blood and, and uh, I'm sure you've been playing uh, the game since you were in diapers. So if you can just talk to us a little bit about how you uh, got into the game and how you fell in love with it. Right. So, you know, for me, I come from a hockey family. Uh, My father, Basil, played in the the NHL for 15 years, um, as well as my uncle Chris played in the NHL. And my younger sister, Abby, played Division I hockey uh, for the girls team at St. Lawrence. So we're we're a pretty big hockey family. But, you know, definitely my my father playing. I, I fell in love with the sport pretty much since the day I was born. And um, I was born in Minnesota, so the pool used to freeze over there. And I think I was on skates by the time I was two years old. So um, he ended up, you know, retiring in St. Louis when I was seven or eight years old. And they settled down here. And that's where I started my my playing career was here in St. Louis. 
That's awesome. So would you say your dad is more known for his time as playing in the NHL or his, his little cameo and role in the mighty ducks? <laughs> that's a tough one, but, uh, I know he still gets asked about the mighty ducks quite often. And that's, that's definitely his claim to fame is, you know, his sequence in the mighty ducks. He always tells a pretty funny story about that, that, you know, him and Mike Medano did the scene and Mike Medano was supposed to be, be the one doing most of the talking with Gordon Bombay, but I guess Mike couldn't remember the lines. So my dad had to get home for dinner. So he just made Mike switch. And then, you know, my dad became North star one and Mike got bumped back to North star two. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. He'll tell you it too. Tell if you Basil will let you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. sure. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting too. Cause your dad, like the role that he played in hockey was not a, a glorious role by any means. You know, he was a guy that was there to stick up for his teammates and, and have a little bit of toughness out there as a kid. Do you remember that going to the games and, and watching your dad having to get into some fisticuffs to, to protect his teammates and stuff? Uh, not as much, actually. I, I more so remember, you know, just getting the opportunity to be around the room and, and hang out with the NHL players, you know, Brett Hall and when Wayne Gretzky was in St. Louis and get to go on the ice sometimes with the with the injured players and, you know, Curtis Joseph letting me put his equipment on and just things like that. I didn't remember so much him actually playing. But now that I can look back and watch some of those YouTube YouTube clips and stuff, I I can see how tough he really was. And, you know, it's crazy because, you know, a lot of people think of him as just an enforcer, but, you know, he had 30 goals uh, in junior and he had, you know, pretty good numbers in the American Hockey League. So it just shows he was one of those guys that was able to to change his game and do whatever it took to get to the next level. And he knew for him, you know, he had to to kind of take on that type of role. And, you know, not a lot of people can do it. So, you know, I know I couldn't, couldn't do what he did. That's for sure. <laughs> Speaking of that Tove, So I trained Phil last last year, pro and, uh, the last two years, Phil started fights in, in hockey, just one a year. And, uh, it's the best story ever. Phil, tell the story about from Finland, the, the newspaper headline that was on the next day. Like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. I always, you know, usually I would have a, a couple fights in my, in the season, just from scrums and stuff, but I was never any good at it at all. Um, usually, you know, I just tried to tie, tie the guy up, but my last few fights, the, the one in Finland, for example, you know, I, I ended up breaking my hand off the guy's helmet and, on the front page of the, the finished paper, there was a picture of me and Basil and the title was, you know, Philip tries to be like father breaks his hand. <laughs> uh, most, you know, and then the, the next fight after that, I, I broke my hand again. So I was pretty much done fighting and I was never very, very good at it to begin with. So yeah, your hands, your hands are for goal scoring, not, not for, for punching. That's for sure. But right. I love that. He snapped, he snapchatted me the, the article when he was over playing in Finland that year. And he's like, guess what this says? And he told me, and I was just laughing. 
That's so good. That's so good. But then, yeah, you talk, talk about moving to St. Louis when your dad and you guys settled there. What was that like being around at the time? And and I would imagine and just from talking to Vex, and I'm sure you're a part of it too, like the Blues alumni is, is something that's probably the best in the NHL. Like those guys care about each other. They do a lot of stuff in the community, real tight knit group and stuff. Um, did you do a lot like with the Blues alumni? Were you around the room even when your dad wasn't playing? So you're able to kind of soak in a lot of the knowledge and soak in a lot of the fun that those guys were having in the locker room? Yeah. I mean, the, the St. Louis blues alumni, I think are one of the, if not the best alumni group in the league. And, you know, even back when we were at, uh, you know, Hardy's Iceplex, they had the room there and I give the alumni a ton of credit for how far minor hockey's come. When I was growing up, it was my father, Rob Ramage, uh, Jeff Brown, Mike Zook, I mean, Kelly Chase, there was a there was a lot of alumni involved that, you know, really pitched in and helped and, you know, gave a lot of their time to to help help the players coming up, you know, develop and improve. So I think the alumni is a main reason why youth hockey in St. Louis has come a long way. And obviously now with the new you know facility at Centene and the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, hockey's going to continue to grow in St. Louis. So it's pretty exciting time and the alumni are a huge part of that. Very cool. Very cool. Vex, you feel pretty fortunate to be a part of that group right now. Hey, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's crazy. You know, I never played for the blues and I only played preseason in NHL, but a bunch of them, uh, the summer I retired kind of like brought me in the room or like, Hey, like, you know, you, you, we want you around. We want you to be a part of us. Like you're one of us now. You've done a lot for St. Louis hockey. And I almost started crying. Like it was, it was one of the coolest things ever to, 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 you know, be a part of that and be around those guys. And they're literally the best guys. And it's, it's so cool too, because it's such like a, it's like a fraternity almost, you know, it's like, Oh, I need help with this. And like, somebody's in that business world, like they'll, they'll help you out. And it's just, it's really cool. Um, and yeah, from what I've heard, it's, it's number one or number two in the, in the entire NHL. Montreal is the only other one that I've heard, you know, does things like St. Louis does, but, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool to be around there and it's sick. It fills back. I mean, I could still easily be playing, still was getting really good contract offers, but decided to retire because, uh, job opportunities, COVID having a baby, all these things. So, uh, oh, baby. yeah, l- lucky right. to get one of the, back, but, uh, St. Louis hockey is really lucky to have Phil. Yeah, Love thanks. That. I appreciate it. Uh, really excited here about about the, my next chapter. So, um, you know, I don't know if you guys want to get into that now or later, or kind we'll of. We'll get we'll get into it. We'll get into it a little bit later. We uh, we got some bones to pick with you first, though. No, I'm right. kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, just kind of going like on a almost sequential order here. Like you mentioned the youth hockey and how it's gotten better and better and better. And Vex always likes to say that his 85 group was the one that put St. Louis on the map. Uh, even though they were getting beat by teams in Chicago yeah. that played without a goalie and stuff like that. But, um, it is 12, what it is <laughs> not, not when we were 17, 18. Easy. <laughs> um, but you know, you had, you were a kid that, like people knew who you were from a pretty young age. Like you were one of those guys that like, even I 
knew the name Phil McRae before I should have known the name Phil McRae because you were talented and your name kind of coming up and, and you guys, I think put St. Louis on the map as well. And, and I believe you won a national championship, uh, with the triple a blues and stuff like that. So talk to us a little bit about your, your childhood growing up with the triple a blues. And then also, if you can too talk about what it was like being, I don't, I mean, the word phenom is kind of a weird word, but like you were one of those guys that I think a lot of people knew who you were. And if you felt any pressure with that or if you felt any differently about that or anything like that too well I think first of all um you know there was a lot of good players before me and my group like you know Cam Jansen and the Stasty brothers and Vex and Turnbull and a lot of these guys that went on to play and um you know Chris Butler Joe Vitale but I don't know if any of the teams really had the team success um when, when our 1990 year came along, you know, my, my father, Basil coached majority of the, of the years. And then Mike Gober took over eventually, but you know, they had a huge emphasis on the development side and making the individual players better. And we actually didn't start off with too much success, but as the years went on, I think we were the first St. Louis team to get into the central States league as a double a team. And actually as a double a team, we were able to get into triple a tournaments and as a Chesterfield double a team, we won, you know, the silver sticks, triple a bracket and, uh, beat some pretty good teams. Like the Markham waxers had Steven Stamkos and Dolzado. And, you know, we used to say we were just a bunch of roller hockey players from St. Louis, but we were able to, you know, become a pretty successful group. And then, you know, obviously at the end, uh, my 15 new year playing triple a, we were able to win the first national championship for the AAA Blues organization. So it was pretty neat to see how far it came. And the cool thing for me was my first couple of years, we were on the road all the time. We were going to, you know, Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota. And by the time we were 14, 15, we were able to have these teams start come to us because we were a good team and, you know, teams were starting to come to Chesterfield for tournaments. So it was kind of cool to see that happen. And, you know, I think like we touched on earlier, a lot of it had to do with, you know, not only my father, but the alumni in general and that emphasis that we had on development. And I think that's kind of where my love and passion for the development side of the game started was when I was a kid, you know, I always really enjoyed that. And we used to book the ice, you know, for an hour before school and there'd be no coaches and they'd let us just go and play pond hockey. And, you know, I think I think that was a pretty neat concept. And, yeah, you got got topped off there at the end with the national championship and a handful of our players, uh, Chris Weidman, Tony DeHart, Kevin Bodker, Sean Logue, Nick Carey. Uh, we had a, a large amount of players from that team that went on to play junior in college and beyond. So it was a it was a good year. And then obviously the, the minor hockey's continued to grow in St. Louis and now you know, there's teams competing every year. So it's pretty cool to see. That's unreal. So what does that kind of development, you mean, you mentioned that you guys played some pond hockey before school and stuff like that, but if you could take us through maybe like a practice or a week of practice or something, because it's pretty obvious you guys got a lot better. (laughs) If you had so many guys from that area moving on to do bigger and better things, you know, talk to us a little bit about like what that actually looked like, what your practices were like, what the coaches talked about and things like that. Well, we didn't put a ton of emphasis, especially at the beginning of the year and at a young age on winning. We just, 
had an emphasis on getting better each day and working on your own game. And we didn't spend a ton of time on systems and tactics at a young age. We focused a lot on the skills, the passing. Um, you know, we used to do used to do passing drills that, you know, we would get, you know, 100 passes in a row tape to tape going through these flow drills. And, you know, I didn't know too many other teams that could do it. And we used to do a lot of the, the stick handling and, and, and skill work and shooting in stride, different shooting techniques, just making the individual player better. And then, you know, by Christmas time, January, everyone had improved individually and then collectively as a team, um, when we came together, we started to win a lot of tournaments. So I think a big thing was just not having too much emphasis on winning and just work on getting better each and every day and, you know, developing your own game, a lot of power skating, a lot of individual skill work, those type of things. Oh, I love that so much. I love the fact that one of the first things you talked about was passing too. Passing is the most underrated skill in hockey. As you guys know, when you get to the higher levels, I mean, you watch, you watch a, a, any game of, of the younger levels, the team that passes the puck better is going to win 98% of the games. I think it, it doesn't matter. Right. Like those teams are going to win. And then even when you get to the older ages, I mean, it's, you watch a practice and there's not a whole heck of a lot of passing going on. <laughs> and, right. uh, so talk to us a little bit about that. I just, it's the most underrated skill and it's not worked on enough. And that's why, like, I love the Instagram stuff and people are doing their individual skill stuff and, you know, being creative and doing certain things, but like, I never see any passing with any of that stuff. And it just, it, irks me so much <laughs> we had a drill that we called the crazy train and it was you know drop passes with cross ice passing and you know more drop passes it was a pretty you know it was called crazy train it was a pretty high level passing drill and we used to have to execute you know groups of two all the way down the ice back and forth and if we didn't we'd have to start over and, and do a couple laps so you know we had a large emphasis on passing and um I think, especially in today's game, it's very rare, even at the younger ages, that players are, you know, going end to end and dancing through a team on their own. You have to know how to pass the puck and make plays. And I think a big part of it isn't just passing, but receiving a pass. So, you know, we had a rule, if it was in your vicinity, it hit your skate, your stick in any way, you know, you should be able to have the skills to handle that. Batting pucks out of the air. Um, so not just making the passes, but having the skill to handle difficult passes, uh, you know, our, my dad, when he was coaching, if you missed a good pass on your tape, he, uh, he'd stop practice and he'd snap a pass back and forth for like 30 seconds with just the individual player. And, you know, I think he broke a few sticks. He would snap them so hard, but <laughs> you know, there was a large emphasis on handling passes, passing the puck hard, crisp and putting it on the tape. And I think that's why our team had a lot of success in minor hockey was because we, we could snap the puck around pretty good. That makes sense. And something else that Tolf and I talk a lot about too, or we have in the past is like, 
coaches need to teach kids. It's not just the passer. It's not just accepting the pass. It's also like putting yourself in the right position to get a pass. I remember being younger and I was an idiot and I always thought I was open much like our boy, uh, Turnbull. He always thinks he's open yeah. from, from the bench. He's open and wants the one T, <laughs> but, uh, but I always thought I was open. And like, I look back on my, my amateur and even probably juniors, like I wasn't open. Like I needed to go get to a spot where I could, physically like accept the pass, give myself more time once I got it. And that's something I think coaches can easily teach with like video and stuff that it's not just the actual skill. It's, it's learning where to dart through the hole, when to dart, when, where to, how to position your body so you can accept that pass. Right. Yeah. Just to touch on Turnbull though, we call him seven 11. He's open 24 <laughs> seven. <laughs> you mean we yeah, call him that or he calls himself that no he calls himself he calls himself the sniper right <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's a good point you know you have to be able to get open for the pass and be able to handle passes different ways sometimes you can't always get a tape to tape pass it might be coming in your skates and to have the skill to be able to kick it up to your stick quickly it's it's a i think it's an underrated skill at a younger age I agree. This year, when I, when I coached the last two years, I'd get, I'd before some drills, I would tell the players, like, I'm purposely not going to pass it in your wheelhouse. I'm going to put it across your body. So you have to catch it in an awkward way because it's not realistic to constantly catch a tape to tape pass in the slot. And I think a lot of coaches don't think that way, you know, and I'm like, how many pass is a, are a bad pass from your teammates at four, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14, a lot. So you should practice. Like you just said, it is a skill to be able to catch a pass that isn't directly on your tape, like exactly in your skating line. Like coaches think about that. Like not, not obviously you don't want to practice every drill with bad passes, but you know, throw them some, throw them some missiles, throw them well, some, next. uh, do you uh, do you remember at our coaches conference in uh, Chicago we had Derek Lalonde who is an assistant coach at Tampa Bay and he was showing us some clips of Stamkos standing on the one timer side on the power play and uh, how Hedman gave him a few like just passes right in his skates or something like that and he would adjust his body and and just absolutely rip it like top shelf even though it was a terrible pass and same thing like he practices that in yeah. practice you know give me. It's, uh, yeah, it, it rattles me so much in, in, uh, in watching youth practices when just the, the value of the passing isn't there, where if it's a bad pass or something, or it hits a kid's stick, he just kind of like finishes the drill instead oh. of going back and getting the puck and going to get it and stuff. It's just like, man, like, I, I mean, even from a recruiting standpoint, if I'm watching a kid and a puck hits him on the backhand and he can't catch a backhand pass, I'm like, oh boy. How skilled is this person? It vexed points to himself. <laughs> I, was, I was so bad at catching passes on my backhand. Seriously, I never told anyone, but I was so bad at it. As I got older, I got better. But as better, a coach, was, too, as a coach, too, in Philly, you'll see this. Kids will, like, take bad routes in practice yep. to make sure that they're able to, to get the pass on their forehand rather yep. than do the route correctly where they're going to catch the pass on their backhand because they're not confident in their backhand pass. They don't want to mess up. It's just like, it's such a valuable skill that you have to, and you think about it too. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Um, if you, and even you talk about versatility with your dad, right? Like your dad was a really good hockey player and he had to change his game and accept a different role to be able to get up. I mean, you have to do that all the time. And if you're not able to, let's say you're a lefty 
and you don't like catching passes on your backhand, well, you can't play right wing and you might not be able to play center because you're going to be getting a lot of pucks and they're going to be going right off your stick. So now you're just a left winger, which decreases your ability to play at the next level. And so, uh, I don't know, I'm going on a rant here, but I think passing is just, it's so freaking important. Yeah. I think it, it is an underrated skill. You know, there's so much emphasis on the the individual skating and puck handling that sometimes I think passing gets overlooked and it's a huge skill and, you know, being able to, to make the passes different ways, receiving them different ways. And like you said, being able to one time the puck, like I don't think anyone was ever better than Brett Hall at being able to get good wood on a puck and get it on net. You know, it could be five feet in front of him or behind him. And he was able to one time it and get a good shot on net. So, you know, I always enjoyed watching him because wherever the puck was, was going, he always seemed to be able to get a one-timer off. And I think that's, that's one of the best ways to beat a goalie is if you can, you know, get a one-timer. So. And that's practice. We did that all year long when we do one-timers, like that quick drill at the blue line, like one touch, one touch back up one T we do it like three times. And I'd be like, I'm going to give you two bad, bad passes, not bad passes, one in front one behind and then I'll put one right down the down, you know, home plate so you can really rip it. But like it's a skill to move your body and manipulate where your hips are and your shoulders are to be able to one time a bad pass. And it's so valuable on the offensive zone to be able to do that. It doesn't even matter how hard it is, like just get it off and and you might give yourself a chance. But to go to go back to like passing two toe, something I've noticed is that coaches want to run practice so fast and so efficient that there's so many drills where I think a player could be the passer for the drill in some form. Like if you just shot, maybe you come back to the corner and now you're the passer and the coaches are always the one passing. And that kind of drives me nuts. Like it does not every drill are you going to be able to have the players passing it, but I'm retired. I want the kids to get better. So I want them doing everything they can on the ice, dumping it in, practicing that, passing it in, Different like don't coaches. I think that's something that we can be better on too, is thinking that way. Like how can I have the kids be doing everything out here? And I'm just kind of like telling them what to do. Yeah. But dude, I got to work on my sauce. <laughs> I love sauce and pucks in practice, man. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. Well, let's get back to it here. Phil, you've had an incredible journey, man. I mean, uh, we talked a little bit about your youth hockey, but you had to grow up pretty quick too and uh, playing at some higher levels at some at some younger ages and got the chance to play for the NTDP. Um, and I believe, were you an underager when you were playing for the NTDP too? Yeah, I was an underage player. So I left, I left St. Louis at, at 15 after my grade nine year and uh, went up to Ann Arbor, Michigan to play for the, the national team. And that was a great experience. Um, for me, it, it, was, it was difficult to leave home Going there was a no-brainer for me for the hockey and the development and the opportunity. But, you know, it's not easy to leave home at, at 15. So it was it was difficult, you know, the the first couple months. But I loved my time at the, at the NTDP. They had a lot of infrastructure in place, the support they, that they had, um, you know, a lot of guidance. They, the, the emphasis there was, was really on development. Um, you know, we were doing workouts and, you know, different things the morning of a game. They, they weren't as worried about winning the game necessarily as just developing the players. And for me, it was a big, big learning curve. And 
a big adjustment moving away from home at a young age. And, um, you know, looking back now, I, I probably, you know, hindsight would have, would have wished I would have stayed there for a couple more years where they kind of have a lot of that emphasis on the character traits, the lifestyle skills, the daily habits, the things that become more important as you do go on in your career. Um, but yeah, I, I'd spent one year at the national team and then I was, you know, looking at different colleges and I ended up getting drafted by the London Knights in the OHL. And that's a place where I had a bit of history and my, my dad played in London, my mom's from London and I always dreamed of playing for the London Knights. So I made the decision to leave the program and go to London at 16. And that was even a, a bigger adjustment to be honest, because when you get to junior and the ma- in major junior, they don't have as much, um, you know, maybe support they're not quite holding your hand daily quite as much it's a little more closer to pro and obviously the london knights are in my opinion you know the best junior program in the world and they develop top-notch players but um you know you got to be ready you got to be ready to to bring it every night there and uh my my 16 year old year my first year in london was a really hard year i was homesick i i didn't do well in hockey I, i struggled in school and you know, looking back, there's a lot of things that obviously I wish I knew now that I didn't know then. And that's a big reason why I'm I'm in the position now and the development side of the game is, you know, the players that I get to work with in St. Louis that are going to move on to junior. I want to make sure that, you know, I don't only help them get to junior, but I have them as prepared as they can possibly be when they get there with those lifestyle skills, daily habits, time management, you know, things that are going to help them have success, not only in hockey, but as a student athlete in the classroom and away from the rink as well. Because if you don't have those things on lock, um, you know, usually something can go can go haywire in school or away from the rink. So, you know, that's a big part of it. And it took me a couple of years in London. And um, by my third year there, I, uh, I was able to, to figure it out a little bit. And yeah, I got a chance there to play with some really good players, Pat Kane, John Tavares, uh, John Carlson, Nazem Kadri, Michael Dolzato. We had a lot of good players. And one thing that I always noticed about those players, even in junior, was consistency. That was always, you know, my biggest fault was I was really good. I mean, maybe on Friday night, but on Sunday, I was a different player. Those guys were really, really good a lot of games, but the games they weren't really, really good, they were still good. You know, they they weren't up and down quite as much. So, you know, I think that's one of the things that separates those players that, that make it, in my opinion, is consistency. So that was something that, you know, I, I, I didn't, I learned probably too little too late with the consistency side. But why? What did they have that you didn't? Uh, I think, I think, you know, one thing I noticed was for me, I, I worked hard. I did the summer training. I did the workouts. I worked on my, my skills, my game, but I think it's what you're doing the other 20 hours of the day that can make the difference. Being consistent with your nutrition, uh, rest recovery, not just on Tuesday and Wednesday, but you know, seven days a week, if you're consistent with your lifestyle, I think that'll, you know, translate into being consistent in your game. And, um, 
you know, that's one thing that, that I probably would have, would have liked to spend more time focusing on and, you know, that and the mental side, those players that were really good, they weren't cocky, but they were confident. And, you know, confidence is something that I struggled with throughout my career. And, you know, I think there's a difference between being cocky and confident, but those players, they believed in themselves and and they weren't afraid to make plays and, and be a difference maker. And I think that's important for, for kids growing up is to have that confidence and don't be afraid to, to believe in yourself and try and make something happen. That's yeah, that's so true. And, and Phil, uh, you know, hearing you tell this story, I, I look back at my journey too, because I went uh, and played junior hockey at 15 in the USHL. And uh, that was the hardest year of my life. Like I lost a passion for the game there. I don't think there's anybody, there might be somebody, but not that I know that loves this game more than I do. And playing against guys that much bigger and stronger and, and just lost so much confidence, um, just getting beat up and beat around. And it, it goes back to it. It's not just the on ice stuff. It's the off ice stuff. And you're playing with guys that are four to five years older than you are and have different interests and are allowed to do things that you're not allowed to do and, and things like that. Like it takes, a, it takes a toll on you. And I attribute a lot of, you know, I, I was the same way. I was really hard on myself. Um, like it was really, I was up and down a lot with my confidence. And I think a lot of that had to do with me just like, that one year and just how hard it was. Do you feel like maybe rush? I don't know if maybe rushing it is the right word, but do you feel like being so young in junior hockey had a little bit to do with uh, it being so tough for you even later on in your career? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, you know, I went from being an underage player at the, at the U S program, my first year in junior, I had two goals the whole season. So, you know, it was, it was when not you probably a, had two goals a game, like your entire <laughs> life before that, <laughs> it was not a good year for, for the confidence, but you know, I probably wasn't quite ready physically, mentally, uh, for that level yet. Um, you know, like I said, hindsight, I would have, you know, stayed at the U S program, um, and went to London a little later, but, um, you know, I think the confidence part too comes from, the consistency in your lifestyle. And especially today, everyone's doing the off ice strength training. Everybody's doing power skating, but it's the other 20 hours of the day that if you can really dial that in, have those routines and habits, um, I think the confidence will come naturally. And looking back and, you know, till Phil and I have quite a few conversations. Uh, we work out every morning together and we have quite a few conversations about things we would have done differently or things that guys could do now and things like that. And Phil, I've known Phil, like he said, uh, you know, since he was a little kid. Um, and I always saw that he would, he was unbelievable, but like, he didn't always like believe that he was an NHL player like that caliber. Um, I could just kind of have that sense about him that he wasn't as confident looking back now, Phil, would you suggest to kids who are maybe lacking in that to, to speak to a sports psychologist or a mental coach or resiliency coach? Is that something you would say you think they could benefit from? I, I think 100%. I think when I was growing up, there was so much emphasis on the physical side and not as much on the mental side. And, you know, there's games for me where I was mentally inside the game and those games, I felt like I was untouchable, but you know, how do you find that every single game? For me, it was one out of a one out of five, if that. So I think 
focusing on the mental side and having the ability to get your head where it needs to be, um, is a huge tool. And, um, like I said, the best players are able to get in that mindset consistently. And that's, that's going to make the difference as, as you, as you go on. And, um, you know, one year I did work with a, with a mental coach, his name was Paul Henry. And, and that was my best year of hockey. I had 30 goals that year in junior and, um, you know, it helped me a ton. And then when I, when I went to pro, I didn't think about it. I didn't stick with it. I put all my emphasis on getting bigger and stronger and faster. And I forgot about the mental side. And for me, I think I, I think I had pretty good skills and I worked hard in the gym and did what I needed to do, but I didn't, I didn't probably put the time I wish I would have on the mental side of the game. Love that. I, yeah. I think it's so important because if you can go there in your brain, your body will follow. But just because you can go there in your body doesn't mean your brain's on the same level. You know, so yeah. massively important. And I know that our coach this year on my 16th team, he brought in a mental coach during our like uh, beginning of the season kind of training camp that he held. And the kids all absolutely loved it. I was I was interested to see how they would respond. We were coaching 16 year old AAA Blues players. And the kids really responded well to it. And we're still using some of the things that he talked about at the end of the year. So, I mean, I, I think that everyone should at least look into it because it's only going to help you function at a higher level more often. Right. Yep. yep, for sure. And Phil, like you talked about too, um, in the, the one out of one out of five games and stuff, it almost sounded like, like the flow state where you're just kind of playing right? You're like on autopilot and you're not thinking about making mistakes. You're not thinking about X, Y, and Z. You're just freaking playing. So I've been looking a lot into that. What do you guys think can allow players to get into that flow state where they're just, and you, I mean, it's, it's almost easier to just kind of feel and think about than talk about, because I don't think it's necessarily something you can put your, put words into. It's just a feeling that you get where you're just kind of all in into what you're doing. Um, what do you guys think is maybe a way to, for kids to get into that kind of state? I think, I think for me, you know, the two biggest things is preparation and consistency, not just consistency with the training, but with your lifestyle. Um, you know, I think when you're getting the proper rest, the proper nutrition, um, you have a routine, you're more likely to, to feel good and, and feel confident when the game comes. So, you know, I think for me, those are, those are two of the biggest things. And then the second thing is, you know, the mental, the mental side, being able to, you know, do some of that work where you're, you know, envisioning yourself having success. Um, that's another big one. And, you know, one other thing I wanted to touch on is, and I think this is a big problem for a lot of young players and for me, I know it was as well as just looking too far ahead. You know, when I had the years when I told myself I'm going to get 30 goals, I would have a slump. I think it's important to have those short term goals and really just live in the moment. You know, if you're in practice, tell yourself, you know, this practice, I'm going to hit the net every shot or, you know, this game, I'm going to get seven shots on net not looking too far down the road about, you know, thinking about the scholarship or the draft, just worry about the, the now and be in the moment. And sometimes I think I look too far, too far ahead. And, you know, when I figured out that, Hey, listen, I'm just going to focus on getting seven shots on goal this game. 
I would do it and I would get a goal. <laughs> but when I said, I need, I need 10 goals this month, I struggled. I think that's massive. Like that, I was going to say co- confidence and preparation because where do you get confidence from? I believe in your preparation. If you know that you've foam rolled and you've done mobility during the week and you worked out and you practiced hard, like, you know, that you're prepared. So you you're confident going into the game and that helps you to get into that flow state much easier. But uh, Phil, that's so right. Like you, yeah, you have to have long-term goals, but like my goal in, in pro hockey over in Europe was five shots every game. And if I thought about, Oh man, I got to score 30 goals this year or 25 goals this year, whatever it was in whatever league, like that's a big goal. But if you just think, Hey, if I just get five shots and I stop at the net, every time I, I shoot the puck, like you're going to give yourself those opportunities to build every shift, every period, every game. And, uh, young players are always saying, especially, you know, once they hit 14, 15, 16, they're always like, how do I get to juniors? How do I get to juniors? And they're so focused on juniors that they don't focus on that day. And I think what you just said for youth players, especially is very important to hear. Yeah. And the kids that I've talked to, uh, with the position I'm in now, I think it's important for them to have short-term goals, long-term goals and dreams. And, you know, if their dream is to play in the NHL one day, that's amazing. And then they can do it, but dreams without goals are just dreams. So you have to have the, the short-term goals to, to get to that point, you know? And I think, I think it's important to just live in the moment and that's going to help you, like Toph said, get into that flow. If you're just in the moment playing inside the game and not thinking about where am I going to be in two years from now or six months from now? Yeah. And Vex, it even goes back to, I mean, you look at a lot of the research nowadays, even the mindfulness and the meditation, it, it helps you to, to be able to get in the moment big time. And, and for all the kids that are listening, you know, when your phone is in front of your face 24 hours a day, it's very hard for you to be in the moment. It's very hard for you to kind of disconnect and, and connect with yourself and be able to get yourself into that kind of state. And um, just going along with what you guys said, one of the things that we would do with our players, we got this from that book. You guys probably read it or know it, Hockey Tough by Saul Miller. Um, it's just a mental training book for, uh, <laughs> you guys are both like, no, no. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's like a mental training book for hockey players. And, uh, they talk about the ABCs. I'm sure you guys heard the ABCs. So like for our guys, it was even like, <laughs> vex your <laughs> but even in practice, like you guys talk about the seven shots on goal or the five shots on goal in practice, your, your ABCs, maybe, um, move your feet when you get the puck and move your feet off of a cutback. Um, always play with your head up. Like for a defenseman, your ABCs can be uh, shoulder check on retrievals or walk the line every time you get it. Just like little things like that, just like the little process goals that go into those product goals. Because at the end of the day, like shots on goal, it, it's a little bit out of your control. It's it's more in your control than the goals and all that kind of stuff. But um, just this something that we focused on a lot with our guys um, and could be something good too. I, I love that. And I tell all my players, I say, pick three to four things. And I actually say, write them on your stick, like the first letter of each sentence or whatever it is. So when you come back to the bench, especially guys who are slumping, come back to the bench and like you, you look down at your stick and it's just a reminder every time. And then I say, and then you have to say them to yourself. Um, so I did that from like juniors on. And so Phil, did you have anything like that? Like what were your, your things you needed to do every day to be good? And same with you, Tove. 
Well, that's one of the things that, you know, like I touched on when I was in junior, I wish I, I would have been more in the moment. I, I was focused on having a 30 goal season and where am I going to go in the draft? And, you know, I think it wasn't until later in my career that I started to have those goals of, you know, in practice focusing on, you know, every time I would skate down the, down the wall for a drill, I would shoot in stride and I would hit the net and just focus on that for the day, for example. Um, so, you know, I think, I think if you could do that at a younger age in junior, I think it'll, it'll really translate and put things in perspective. And also, you know, it's just important to just enjoy the moment and enjoy where you're at. You know, if, if it's your last year of AAA or, um, you know, your last year of junior before the draft, you know, don't worry too much about the future, just live in the now and, and enjoy it because it definitely goes quick. That's for sure. Oh, oh boy. Does it ever <laughs> about um, you Toph? I don't know if we've ever talked about that. What were your like ABCs or things you had? To I focus wasn't, on every I'm, game? I'm like Phil, man. Like I didn't do that. I didn't do enough of that as a player. And I was focused a lot more on, I like for me, my benchmark was I wanted to be at a point of game. Like I wanted to be at a point of game and I never got to a point of game because probably I was thinking too much about being at a point of game. Because if you get over, there were times where I got over a point of game and I'm like, okay, I'm sitting pretty good right now. And then you freaking stop working and that got you to the place where that got you to a point of game. And then maybe you get, you have two or three games or four games where you don't have a point and now you're like, holy crap, now I'm really far behind and you keep pressing and you grip your stick a little bit too tight. So I'm, I'm similar where I, I focused way too much on the things that were out of my control rather than being in the moment, rather than focusing. like my one year, um, my senior year at Cornell, I just wanted to score more. And so what I would do is my mindset in practice was more stop passing the puck so much, be a shooter. Like that was the thing I would always tell myself, be a shooter, be a shooter. So literally every two on one drill that I did, I never passed the puck just so I can get in that mindset of, and it, it shocked the hell out of people because usually I was the other way, a hundred percent passing the puck, but I scored the most goals that I ever scored that year because that was my mindset. And it all came back to the mindset and what you're putting your thoughts into instead of worrying about, because I was worrying about the process and, and becoming a better scorer and not the actual goals that come with it, which is usually what I would f- focus on. I got more goals. You know what I mean? So it's just like, right. uh, just the thing, but I wasn't good at that. Like I wasn't good at focusing on the process. I was way too product oriented. That's, that's unbelievable. I think I was just lucky that I, I wound up talking to a sports psychologist in Omaha and juniors that opened my eyes to all of this stuff. So I started doing it when I was younger, but quick story. I might've told on the podcast before I can't remember, but a guy on my team this year, Justin Rapp came up to me and he's like, Bex, I haven't been scoring the last five, 10 games. I don't know what's going on. What can I do? And I said, rapper, every single time that you shoot the puck or there's a rebound, get the puck and put it in the net. Every single time. I don't care if it goes in the corner. I don't care if it goes to the red line. You go get that puck and you shoot it in the net. I swear to God, I think he led our team in goals the last 15 games from, from that. He, and it was, he was being ridiculous with it too. And I was like, you don't need to be like that. He's like, no, 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 it's working. I, I am. I, it was just, it was a mindset thing. I will finish every puck. And he, he wound up leading our team in goals the last 10, 15 games. So it's habits and mindset. That's yeah. So true. Yeah. That's a great example. It's a great example, you know, shooting to score and finishing the finishing in practice. And, you know, I think you practice how you play. So, you know, creating those habits on a daily basis. Did you, yeah. 
Did you play? You you named some sick players, and you obviously played with plenty more. Played 15 games in the NHL, and we're in the NHL for a couple months. Um, AHL Europe, obviously. Uh, did you play with any players that were like very high end that didn't practice hard or practice well? Because I can't really think of many or any. There was very few that could take take a shit at practice, but then be sick on, in the game. So not not really i mean like you said like a lot of those players that i named it's like every time they're on the ice whether it's practice or shinny or a playoff game they want to be the best um you know when i think of like playing junior with john Tavares and and pat kane and some of those bigger name guys john carlson like they wanted to dominate in practice too i mean didn't matter if you were a 16 year old rookie they're gonna embarrass you and uh you know, when I got traded to Plymouth at the end, we had Tyler Sagan there when he was in his draft year and he was absolutely dominating practice. You, no one could get the puck off him, you know, all practice long. And he was only 17 and 17 or 18 at the time before the draft. And I was like, wow, this guy's unbelievable. Obviously he, uh, he's done well for himself. So, but yeah, I think they all practice hard. There's always that conception of like being cool or, you know, it, it, you know, not really working hard in practice, saving your energy or whatever it might be. But I think at the end of the day, the best players are going hard every time they're on the ice. Love that. Love that. Well, that work ethic and all that, that brought you to a pretty cool moment. You got the chance to win a world junior gold medal for team USA. Take us through that. was that the year that Carlson scored the OT winner? Yeah, it was. Um, How was that? That must have been unreal. How was that whole experience? That was a great experience. Uh, Learned a lot. We obviously, we had a great team. I don't think we were the favorites by any means to win. It was in Canada. um, And Canada had a stacked team, you know, like they do every year. And I think we kind of surprised a few people. The New Year's Eve game, uh, we played Canada and we took them to a shootout and we lost in a shootout. And I think people were like, wow, you know, that USA team took Canada to a shootout. And then we ended up meeting them again in the gold medal game. And it was a great game. Um, went to overtime and John Carlson was able to get that over OT winner to win the tournament for us. But um, the, the neat thing about that tournament is just, you know, you have guys from major junior college. John Carlson was in the American Hockey League at the time. And I feel like the teams that have success in those tournaments are the teams that can just come together as a team the quickest because the tournament just flies by and, you know, you get a group of guys playing from all different leagues and teams and it's the team that can really come together um, the quickest that usually has success. We were able to do that. How, how so? Like what were some, did you guys do any like team building stuff or was it a lot of some of the things that the coaching staff did? How were you guys able to come together like that so quick? I think the way, the way USA hockey ran it that year, um, I'm not sure if they have the same process, but it was a long process. We, we had our camp uh, at Lake Placid in the summer. And then, you know, that was about a one week camp and there was a, probably about 40 players so you get a chance to kind of start to get a little bit of, you know, knowing each other. And a lot of guys already did know each other. But then about two or three weeks before the tournament, we had a final tryout camp, you know, in December uh, at the University of North Dakota. And they made they made cuts at that point right up leading up to the tournament. But 
we played, you know, the University of North Dakota uh, Division One team in an exhibition game. And I think just the, the way that USA Hockey kind of planned it out so that we were together, you know, leading up to a tournament, battling together weeks before the tournament even started, um, gave us the opportunity to, to grow. And by the time the tournament rolled around, we were pretty comfortable with each other and had the trust in each other. And um, yeah, it was a great experience. Probably the highlight of my career is, is winning a gold medal for the World Juniors. Nice, especially against Canada and Canada too. Hey, eh? that must have been uh, pretty crazy. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was nuts, and it was a sold out building. And um, the New Year's Eve game was nuts, and then obviously the gold medal game. And I was playing in London at the time, so going back to London in Canada with my gold medal from USA. You know, I had bragging rights in the city, so that was pretty fun. That's awesome, man. Well, after that, that's obviously a highlight of your career, but then you got the chance to, to get drafted first pick of the second round by your hometown blues, the, uh, the team that you grew up with. And I have to imagine that being able to be a part of that organization was really, really cool. But at the same time, I have to imagine that I feel like that's not easy being because there's so much extracurricular and so much out of your control that can probably, you know, tear at your attention of being a great hockey player. So talk to us a little bit about being drafted by the blues and how that was really cool. But was there anything that was kind of a little bit tougher about that too? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, you know, getting drafted to the NHL was a dream in itself. And then being drafted to your hometown team, the team you grew up watching rooting for that my father played for, uh, made it, makes it extra special. Um, so, you know, it was it was unbelievable. Uh, but like you mentioned, you know, it isn't necessarily easy going to your home city, maybe a little bit extra pressure. And also just, you know, you're there in the summer training all summer. And, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, kind of, you know, wanting to, to, to do things and you have your, your friends there and having the ability to say no isn't easy when you're, you know, 19, 20, 21. Um, so. You know, there was a lot of pros, but also there's some cons, I think, you know, going to your home city. And it, I think it all goes back to just having that consistency in your lifestyle. I mean, I never missed a workout um, in the summer, um, always put the work in, but, you know, probably sometimes could have had a little more consistency with the, the nutrition, the rest, the recovery when it comes to um, some of those other things. But, um, you know, it was, it was a great experience and was, was lucky enough my first year to get a handful of games up with the blues, which, you know, was, was my childhood dream. So it was, it was pretty special. My parents were able to come to my first NHL game in Anaheim and, uh, which was pretty funny. A lot of people were saying, you know, how I was playing the ducks in my first NHL game, but, 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 um, yeah, it was great. It seems, you know, like it was just yesterday. It was, She's 10 years ago now. So, um, you know, I ended up being in the blues system for five or six years. Um, we had a couple, couple of really good years in Peoria with the Rivermen there. We had a good coaching staff with Jared Bedner and Danny Brooks and um, Drake Berhowski. And I learned a lot. Um, the, you know, I think for me, looking back, 
there's some things I probably would have done differently, but um, all in all, you know, I'm really happy with the career that I ended up having and kind of, it's kind of neat to come full circle now back in St. Louis on the development side, on the minor hockey side, kind of where it all started. So it's been a good I'm, ride. I'm going to push you a little there, Phil. I'm going to push you here because <laughs> you and I have talked a lot about, about, you know, what we would do differently, like looking back. And you just said, you know, there's some things that I would do differently looking back of what you want to tell us that you would do differently. What, what would be some of those things for the kids listening who they're at that age now where they can make some better decisions or something. What, what should you have done or looking back, what would you have done? Well, I think it kind of goes back to some of the things we said earlier, but when you get to that level and you're in the American hockey league, um, first of all, the window of opportunity is so small. Um, you know, secondly, um, not only is it a small window, but the difference between getting up to that level and not is, is very small as well. So I think the things we touched on, the, the consistency in your everyday life when, with nutrition and proper rest and recovery. And, you know, like we said, everyone's doing the training and the workouts and the power skating. But what, what about the other 20 hours of the day? What are you doing to get an edge? That's number one. Number two is making sure you're putting that work in on the mental side of the game, especially if you're someone like myself that maybe struggle with the confidence at times. I think doing the mental work's important. Um, and then, you know, the third thing is probably like I touched on with my father is a lot of the guys having the ability to adapt and adjust and, and maybe change your game if it's necessary to get to the next level. Um, there's only so many first line players that can go on. So um, I think those are a few things that, that are important for, for younger players that are right at the cusp of maybe making that jump. And it's very small fraction that makes the difference. And it's a very short window to get your foot in. So um, those were a few things from, from my perspective, looking back. Vex, I would venture a guess to say that there's, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that, probably not just for you, but a lot of different people, right? Like a lot of guys that play at the higher levels, I think we can all look back and have similar conversations when we're looking in the mirror and say a lot of the same things that, that you did. And that's why like being great is, is hard. It's a 24 seven job, you know, and not necessarily the things that you do, but some of the things that you don't do. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. and saying no, it, it's really, it is, it's hard to say no, especially at that age. And, um, it's, uh, but there's sacrifice that goes to it. And there's, um, it's, it's great to have these conversations. I think number one between us, because we get to reflect on things that we would have done and we are going to have impacts, uh, on the kids that we coach and all that kind of stuff. And even with this podcast that, you know, we might change a life like, um, and we might change a trajectory of, of a kid's career that's listening to this kind of stuff right now. And, um, I just think it's so healthy to kind of look back and, and, and talk about this stuff because it is really important and not just for, not just for career trajectory, but just for overall health and mental, physical well being too. And so lessons are always learned, man. We've, we all learn them, you know, <laughs> You got to keep learning them and you got to keep asking for, for people that have been there or been where you want to be or know people that are, are friends with the people where you want to be and just reach out. And I mean, that's, that's why Tolf and I did this podcast and that's why Phil's starting his job with TPH, his new career. Like 
we just want to help. At least I know Tolf and I, and I, I know Phil, we want to help people be better than we were. You know, like if I got to my 99% of maximizing my, maximizing my potential, I want to help somebody get to their hundred because who knows whatever that means, maybe they'll be able to achieve all of their goals. And you look at it too, like, that's why I feel like the, the least, like one of the most important things that you can have in an organization is mentorship. I think it's, 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 there's not enough of it. And like, not enough of it in like an intentional way, you know, like you, you played in Boston Vex is Boston where it is today without Chara's mentorship. Not a chance. Yeah. And Bergeron and Bergeron and you know, those kinds of guys like, and that's why you see even some of these NHL teams. Now they're bringing some of their ex pros back just to kind of be around the guys so they can help them, especially for the younger guys that are coming up that maybe haven't learned the lessons yet that they learned. And in these conversations that we're talking about right now, man, I wish I would have done this differently you know, if you put, put somebody like that, who's been in those person's shoes that can talk to those people about that. And and that's why, like with my youth organization, Phil, I'm sure this is something you'll do with TPH. And we'll get into that. Like a mentorship piece to that, I think is just so, so important, not just for the kids to learn from the older guys, but for the older guys to get that experience and knowing what it means to be a leader and have an impact on, on, uh, on the kids that are, that are younger than them, because that's such a great experience in and of itself. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for me, that's a big reason why I made the transition. You know, my body was healthy and I had a a pretty good season, you know, statistically speaking last year and I had opportunities to keep playing. But I really noticed myself, my passion changing from developing my own game to more, like you said, that mentorship uh, development side and I've, I've run some camps in the past and done work with some kids, you know, especially last summer and a couple full week camps, full day, one week camps. And, you know, there's nothing more gratifying or rewarding than, than seeing you make a difference in, in the kids and helping them out. And I noticed last summer, I was more excited to get to the rink to work with the kids and help them and make a difference, a positive impact on them than I was to go to the rink to work on my own game. So I kind of knew what I wanted to do and that I was getting ready to make that transition. And, uh, for me, when I, when I looked at, when I, you know, TPH came up and I, I did my homework and did my research, um, you know, to me, there's no better platform to be able to have a positive impact than, than the position I'm in right now here with TPH in St. Louis. So I'm pretty excited here going forward. That's awesome, man. Well, the kids in St. Louis are, are lucky to have you. And, uh, so what, for our listeners, you know, what are you doing here now? What, what kind of role do you have here? What, what is TPH and what kind of thing do you have going on there to help these kids get to where they want to go? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I was playing in the Czech Republic last year, um, had no intention of retiring, you know, felt healthy, was having a good year, but I got encouraged to put my resume in and actually, you know, Jeff, you know, you're one of the, the guys that brought it to my attention and, and encouraged me to do that and thought it would be a good fit for me. Um, so I, 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 you know, put my threw my uh, hat in the ring. And as I went through the hiring process, started to do my homework, you know, look into the model, put some put some presentations together for the hiring board. I really, truly believe in the model and what the center of excellence is um, and how I, how I could see it fitting perfectly in St. Louis. I felt it was a, a model that was missing in St. Louis. 
So, you know, what, what, what the center of excellence is, is it's an academy style school for student hockey players, grade six to grade 12. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it, but big picture, you know, it's the ideal balance for us, for academics, athletics, and socially, um, you know, our student athletes study, train and play all in one day. A lot of the kids now they're going to their private lessons before school. They're going to school all day. They have their office training after school. Then they have their club practice and they're gone from, you know, six in the morning till eight at night. Um, you know, the idea for us is, you know, they're going to come to the center of excellence. They're going to get their on ice development training. They're going to get their off ice training. They're going to get their academics all between eight o'clock and 4 p.m. And then when they leave at 4 p.m., you know, they've gotten everything they need for their development and they have the time to to be a kid, to have their social life and to get the proper rest and recovery that they need. Um, you know, academically, it's it's 100 percent geared towards a, a high level student athlete, especially hockey players. You know, they're missing a lot of Friday. They're missing a lot of Thursday, Fridays. So we use a online curriculum with on site infrastructure and support in place. Um, you know, basically they're using a, an online um, classes and, and teachers, but we have an academic director there to keep them on track, hold them accountable. And, you know, the main thing is to customize their schedule, um, customize the learning environment that they're placed in and give the students the ability to learn at their own pace. So, you know, if there's a course that you're really into and, you know, it's math and, and you love it and you can you can go very quick, that's great. If there's a subject that you're struggling in and you need to slow the pace down, you can learn at your own pace. Um, if you're going to miss Thursday and Friday, you can front load the schedule academically. So you're caught up and you're where you need to be before you leave town. And when you are out of town, you can keep up with your academics because all you need is your laptop and the Internet. Um, so, you know, there's a lot that goes to it, but, uh, you know, big picture is study, train and play all in one day. And we want to help the student athletes not only get to where they want to go, um, in hockey, but help them be as prepared as they can be when they, when they get there. A lot of them are going to be leaving home at a young age, like we talked about earlier and, you know, the character traits, the lifestyle skills, the daily habits, that's a large emphasis and, you know, hockey is what gets our student athletes in the front door, but it's those character traits and lifestyle skills that are going to get them out the back door and help them be successful wherever they end up. Wow. Well said. Did you practice that in front of the mirror before this? Podcast? That, was, <laughs> that was unreal. You know, it's, it's, it's easy when you, when you truly do believe in the model. And for me, when I, when I looked at this model, honestly, my first thought was, wow, I wish I had this when I was a kid. Cause I was a kid that loved to be at the rink. Um, you know, I wanted to get better and I struggled in school. I struggled in a traditional classroom. So when I looked at it, it would have been perfect for me. And, you know, one of the things about it is when you put, you know, 20 to 25 of these like-minded individuals together on a daily basis in the gym, in the classroom, on the ice, they all have a common goal and aspirations. They're motivated, they're driven. So, you know, they're going to be competing, pushing each other, motivating each other, but they're going to have a lot of fun doing it because they are all similar and they have that common passion and dream. 
you know, I, I never thought of it till you just said that, but Toff says this all the time and I believe it as well. Like you are the, the product of the five people you hang out with most. And if you got all these kids doing this type of thing, they're all around people who, like you said, are like-minded, are driven, have to be responsible, have to care, all these things. Whereas in a traditional school, you know, who knows who they're hanging out with and then, you know, their, their background and stuff like that. So definitely makes sense from that standpoint. Yeah. And I know for me, when I was a kid growing up, I liked to hang out with the, the other hockey players. Those were my buddies anyways. That's who I wanted to be with. And I think, I think a big part of it too is, is, you know, getting what you need, you know, sometimes I think it's overdone with, with, you know, private lessons before school, school all day after school, uh, club practice, high school hockey game. And, you know, you're literally gone from six in the morning till 10 or 11 at night for some of these high school players. And I think, you know, having the ability to get what you need in a more timely manner and have more time for your social life to be a kid and to rest and recover is, is important. And I think another thing for me is like we touched on earlier, you know, it's not easy leaving home at a young age. And sometimes players feel like they need to leave home maybe earlier than they really need to, you know, in St. Louis, there's a lot of good players that are leaving to go to places like Shattuck and Culver. And that's awesome. But um, I think with the center of excellence paired with their club team, they're going to have an option to stay home if they want and get the development they need until they're really ready to go to the USHL or the OHL. And, and they have those character traits and lifestyle skills on point um, before they go, because it's not easy balancing uh, academics and hockey and the stress and your social life at 15, 16, when you, when you leave home. So I think it's going to give players the ability to, to stay home a little longer if they, if they want to, you know, play their triple a club, paired with the center of excellence and, you know, really leave when you're ready and you need to. And just the mentorship they're going to get from you too. I mean, I, I, like we've talked about on this podcast multiple times, mentorship is invaluable. And for these kids to have Phil McRae, who was literally playing for the triple a blues that, that most of them are playing or triple a and even double a in St. Louis. And, you know, you made it to where you made it drafted NHL, you know, however long you played 12 year pro career, like, you did it and you lived in the city they're coming from. Like that is so, I wish I had somebody to look up to when I was young and I would have just eaten up everything they told me and I would have done anything they said. And I think it would have really helped me. So I'm really excited for the kids in St. Louis for sure. Yeah, I I agree. And, And you know, the staff we put together, we've recently added Bruce Racine as the goaltender coach who has a ton of experience, um, you know, developing goalies and, um, played a long time, 15 year pro career, as well as Bobby Feaster as the player development coach. So, you know, on the hockey side, you know, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of experience and with the academic director and, and our, our staff on the academic side, it really is a group of, of people that we all have passion for mentoring and developing and making a positive impact on our student athletes any way we can. I mean, that's, what our staff has in common. And, you know, like we all talked about, that's really for us selfishly. That's why we're doing it because it feels good and you get gratitude and you feel it's a rewarding experience to make a positive impact and and to make a difference. So 
I'm excited for it. And, you know, so far in St. Louis, it's, it's going well. We have 17 families, uh, applied and registered for the upcoming school year. So, you know, we're, we're hoping to have around 25 in year one and, um, you know, build, build it up and make a difference here in St. Louis. Love that, man. Well, we wish you nothing but the best of luck and I'm sure you'll see, you'll see, uh, you know, no shirt McGee over there, uh, plenty of times there in, uh, in St. Louis, but, uh, we appreciate your time so much coming on. You're such an awesome story and, and we're really looking forward to seeing how many people you have an impact on there in St. Louis. So best of luck with everything. And, uh, thanks for coming on, man. This was great. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And, you know, I think one thing I wanted to just to mention before we got off was, you know, I just wanted to thank Jeff because Vex, he's someone who, especially the last two years, he had a, a very large impact on me, not only as, as an athlete, but as a person. And, you know, Vex, seeing the way that you handle your, your athletes and make a positive impact, not only as a hockey player, but as a person, you know, that's a big reason why I wanted to, to get into what I'm doing as well. So wanted to thank Vex for that. And, you know, he's someone I look up to in this position. So was excited to come on and thanks for having me. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate it, bro. You're a good man. I'm going to edit right. that. I'm going to edit that stuff out though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for your time, Philly, man. I'm excited for all the kids in St. Louis and everything you're going to do moving forward. Uh, our city's lucky to have you back, bro. Thanks. Appreciate it. Have a good day, guys. Stuff, man. Take care.